Welcome to 35 West. I'm Ryan Berg, a senior fellow in the Americas program at CSIS and the co-host of the 35 West podcast. How professional the Mexican but government. are we ready? Um, I don't reform trends in Argentina. Right. And that's what happened. No role at all in the NAFTA negotiation. This week, we are joined by Gaston Schulmeister, director of the Department Against Transnational Organized Crime at the Organization of American States. Gaston joins me today to talk about the intersection of mining and transnational crime in the Andes-Amazon region of South America. He is an expert on transnational organized crime in Latin America and the Caribbean, and recently published a series of reports entitled On the Trail of Illicit Gold Proceeds, Strengthening the Fight Against Illegal Mining Finances. This series features three separate reports that focus on Peru, Ecuador, and Colombia. In this episode, we will explore how the rise in global demand for mineral resources has fueled illegal mining operations by transnational criminal organizations, as well as regulations that governments and the international community can enact to limit this harmful activity. Thank you for joining us today, Gaston. It's a great pleasure. Thanks for inviting me to discuss the issue of illegal mining and transnational organized crime in the Americas. Mining is an essential economic sector for the Americas and the Andes-Amazon region specifically. The countries of this region are some of the greatest exporters of mineral resources in the world. How does mining, and in particular gold mining, contribute to economies and livelihoods in countries like Peru, Colombia, Ecuador, Venezuela, and Guyana? Firstly, it is important to mention that the mining sector is a crucial part of the economies of the countries of the region. According to the World Bank, mining represents more than 25% of the combined GDP in the region, coming from the export of a wide range of minerals. The countries of our region are the world's main producers of highly demanded minerals, some of them with a strategic importance for the global economy and other minerals vital for the production of electronics. Mining tradition in our region dates back to before the arrival of the Europeans. Some mining deposits still in production today were exploited by indigenous communities uh, hundreds of years before Europeans got here. Each of these type of exploitation generates different dynamics in the economies of the countries, and more importantly, they are the base of the economy of some sub-regions inside countries. For these communities, mining is the foundation of their economies. Give us a scene setter for which countries in the region are the most reliant on mining. Is most of this mining large-scale industrial mining or small-scale and artisanal? In the region, we can mention, as an example, two countries with intense and varied mining production. Initially, we can mention Chile, which, in addition to its role as main producer of copper, has an important industry for the exploitation of metallic minerals such as gold, silver, iron, manganese, lead and zinc. According to the Central Bank of Chile, for the year 2019, the exploitation of these minerals represented 18% of its GDP. Um, this amount increased by 2020 to almost 25%, even with the phenomenon of the COVID-19 pandemic. Another case uh, worth mentioning is that of Peru, which has had a mining vocation uh, since long before colonial times. 
Figures from the Central Reserve Bank of Peru show that the mining industry has represented around 18% of GDP in recent years. According to the Peruvian Ministry of Mines and Energy, Peru is the second largest producer of silver, copper, and zinc worldwide. It is also the leader producer of coal, zinc, tin, uh, and, and lead in Latin America. How significant of a contribution do the small-scale mining operations make to regional communities? The situational diagnosis that have been carried out by our department against transnational organized crime, known as DTOC, show that artisanal mining has a particular dynamic in the countries that are part of our project on the fight against illegal mining in Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Guyana, and Suriname. In some countries, it is called subsistence mining, and it involves family groups that exploit deposits on a very small scale that in most cases belong to third parties or that allow them to exploit them in exchange for a small percentage of the profits. The small scale mining generates an economy of similar size in the areas of exploitation in which it is possible to identify different actors who, at different levels, seek to obtain benefits from the exploitation of minerals, in this case, gold. In this environment, the intermediaries in the collection of the extracted gold take the lion's share of the profit. Now, the price of gold and other minerals has skyrocketed in recent years, especially in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. However, the regulations on the mining industry have not been updated to keep up with the rapid growth of the industry. Tell us about the legal framework that exists around the mining industry in the countries of the Andes-Amazon region. This is precisely one of the main findings of our situational diagnosis. While some countries have updated legal frameworks, in others, their legislative frameworks date back to the middle of the last century. More specifically, mineral exploitation licensing records, in some cases, is still kept manually, which makes their consultation and monitoring difficult and facilitates illegal activities. Likewise, the legal frameworks do not foresee the access of the supervisory and surveillance authorities to the basic information necessary for the performance of their duties, such as the registers of assets and companies or the delimitation of natural parks and protection zones. In conclusion, our analysis show that for some jurisdictions, deficiencies in legal frameworks are vulnerabilities that are clearly being exploited by organized crime. Are these frameworks sufficient to protect labor and environmental rights, for example? The dynamic nature of the actions of organized crime on these two fronts, labor protection and environmental rights, make it very difficult to issue policies for their total protection. Phenomena such as irregular immigration or the smuggling of precursors create the need to update regulatory frameworks frequently and specifically. A clear example of this is the mercury trade. Some countries in the region have prohibited or regulated uh, importation, distribution, and use, while others 
have not implemented controls of, of a similar nature. This implies the creation of smuggling networks of mercury from countries with free or limit importation to countries where its importation is prohibited and that are later transported and sold in the exploitation areas at prices that multiply their original value several times. As long as these legal frameworks are not harmonized, criminal organizations will find a niche for this type of illicit trade. How do regulators prevent illicit mineral goods from being sold in the same markets as illicit goods? Many countries in the region have implemented policies to prevent the, the sale of illicit coal in legal markets. It is important to know that one of the techniques that organized crime uses to facilitate this practice is to mix gold of legal origin with gold of illicit origin to hide its true origin. Faced with this problem, the countries have implemented various mechanisms that range from monopolizing the purchase of the gold produced by implemented processes to verify its origin, to developing chemical analysis of the gold to determine its place or of origin. Also, each of these approaches are valid. Our research team was strongly struck by the fact that some countries have implemented measures adopted by others despite their negative results or inefficacy. In this regard, our conclusion is that there is a need for more exchange of knowledge in the regulation of mining activity and its associated market. Let's talk for a second about international instruments. What regulations exist internationally to prevent the exchange of illicit mineral goods on the international market? There are really few instruments that address the problem of illegal mining at the international level. Some practices associated with illegal mining related to human trafficking are broadly addressed in the United Nations protocol to prevent, suppress and punish human trafficking, which is a supplement to the United Nations Convention against organized crime, known as Palermo Convention. In this same sense, the Minamata Convention on Mercury can become an important tool to respond to the threat of illicit mercury smuggling in the region and reduce its harmful effect on human health and the environment. In addition, some countries have designed mechanisms to, to deter the commercialization of minerals exploited in a conflict environment by requesting the, the declaration of the origin of some minerals. The debate about artisanal and small-scale mining often focuses on outlawing the practice and not necessarily on alternative livelihoods or the process of formalization. So my question is, would it be more useful to enact further regulations on the mining industry or to prioritize enforcement of the regulations that already exist? The approach of prioritizing compliance with existing regulations before issuing new ones is rationable when there is a fully articulated legal framework parallel to the entire production chain. In the case of mining and in particular gold mining, some practices have been implemented by large companies, 
such as internal self-regulation policies without being made mandatory for all companies in the sector. In the particular case of supervision, the size of the sector and the diversity of entities make it difficult for those in charge of verifying compliance with environmental and operational laws. In this regard, we consider that a risk-based approach uh, should be implemented so that direct and continuous supervision processes are oriented to entities or activities with higher levels of, of risk. In part due to a lack of domestic enforcement of regulations and also in part due to the dramatic rise in global demand for gold, transnational criminal organizations have been able to access the lucrative gold market. Which criminal organizations in the region have found the most success in their illicit mining operations? As examples, there are multiple reports of the involvement of Colombia's emerging criminal bands, armed groups such as the National Liberation Army, ELN, FARC dissidents, and even extra-regional criminal groups in illegal gold trade across the region. But for this identification, it is important to remember that to deal with an activity such as illegal mining, there exists a chain of illegal activities associated that should be taken into consideration. These range from the irregular importation of precursors and machinery to the commercialization of illegally extracted resources, the laundering of profits to be used in other illicit activities or the expansion of illegal mining operations to other areas of the region. As a result, we have the project funded by the Bureau of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs, INL, of the U.S. Department of State, which uh, seeks to strengthen the capacities of the agencies in charge of fighting against illegal mining across all its irregular production chain, and in particular, their finances. How do illegal mining operations of transnational criminal organizations intersect with legal artisanal and small-scale mining operations? I believe that this has been one of the main findings of our experts on this subject, which in my opinion is one of the main contributions of our work. The general belief of the public in our countries is that there is a direct relationship between small-scale mining and illegal mining, and I believe that nothing could be further from the truth. In, in this first place, uh, the expert we interview in different countries agree that setting up an illegal mining operation requires a considerable initial investment, some estimated at more than $250,000, as well as having the logistics to deploy machinery, input, and labor to remote areas where other criminal organizations operate. In other words, starting an illegal mining operation required a substantial initial investment and contacts with criminal networks for the commercialization of illegal gold, something far beyond the reach of small-scale miners and subsistence miners. The analysis of the money laundering typologies from illegal mining shows that criminal organizations 
use small-scale miners to mix illegally produced gold to simulate operations of non-productive mines and exploitation sites and to buy their production using cash-intensive businesses. This should prompt us to make a change in the language and adopt the term that some of the countries of the region already use for this criminal activity, criminal mining. This term implies the participation of a criminal organization in the exploitation of minerals, gold in this case, for example, and the use of the network for the production, collection, commercialization, and laundering of the assets produced from criminal mining. How do transnational criminal organizations impact delicate ecosystems in the region? Let me share an example. Following the implementation of the illegal mining project mentioned, we, we have identified that one of the main challenges in the region is extensive and uncontrolled use of mercury for illegal gold extraction. This is considered to be a major indicator of parallel criminal activity and with environmental consequences. In this context, and in addition to the project on illegal mining, in an effort supported by the Bureau of Oceans and International Environmental and Scientific Affairs of the U.S. State Department, our department is fostering international cooperation among OAS member states to raise awareness and improve their regulatory systems on the use of mercury in the coal mining industry. In this regard, we consider that it's important to promote the implementation of the Minamata Convention, identify the mechanisms in place for the import, storage, use and disposal of mercury, and strengthen the capacities of law enforcement, customs and prosecution agencies to control the legal entry of mercury into countries of the region. Your department at the OAS recently published a series of excellent reports specifically regarding illegal mining in the Andes Amazon region entitled On the Trail of Illicit Gold Proceeds, Strengthening the Fight Against Illegal Mining Finances. And I would encourage our listeners to go and refer to those reports and to read those reports. What were some of the most significant findings of these reports? Talk a bit about what you see as the OAS role in all of this. Taking into account our experience working in the region with different OAS state members, and in particular products such as the report you highlight, the, the project that we are implementing is focused on the development of capacities for conducting financial investigations that lead to the seizure of assets, product, or instrument of illegal mining. With this, we hope to see a substantial increase in investigations, but also in the capacities of the authorities to investigate and punish this crime. In another aspect of the problem, we have noticed a very low level of awareness of private sector actors regarding the risk of this activity. We believe that to the extent that they are aware of the threats and vulnerabilities in the sector, they will be better able to identify suspicious transactions associated with organized crime activity and report it to the designated authorities. We still have much to do at the local level in each of the countries 
and at regional level, and our DTOC department will continue to strengthen the capacities of OAS state members and organizations related to the coal production chain to prevent this sector from being permitted by organized crime. With proper regulation, the industry could be extremely beneficial to local and national economies and livelihoods. By monitoring and limiting the flow of illicit mineral resources on international markets, governments could reduce incentives for transnational criminal organizations to carry out illegal mining operations. In turn, this could reduce labor rights violations, sexual trafficking, environmental degradation, and the many other negative impacts we have discussed while bolstering their illicit mining industries. How would you outline effective policies to limit the illicit mineral trade? Given that the illicit coal production chain has shown a close association with other illegal activities such as smuggling, migrant smuggling, human trafficking, and drug trafficking, we consider critical the support for the creation of national task forces against illegal mining across the region as a mechanism to increase the number of investigations and prosecutions and to provide training on how to conduct financial investigations and on how to apply the existing legal frameworks on money laundering, illegal mining, and asset recovery cases. The establishment of an informal regional network of these national task forces is another key dimension on which to invest effort to promote cooperation uh, in the fight against illegal mining and any other manifestations of transnational organized crime. What efforts are governments in the region and internationally making to limit success of these criminal organizations in collecting profits from illegally mined resources? The involvement of governments of the region in projects like the ones we mentioned on illegal mining and mercury should be considered as signals of interest, political will, and cooperation to fight these criminal organizations illegally profiting from mineral resources. In this sense, we appreciate the support from the official authorities, from a wide range of, of institutions that are involved in countries such as Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Guyana, and Suriname, together with our donors and other international partners. And we expect to continue extending the beneficiary countries across Americas, including, for example, Frank Guyana. What kind of technical support can organizations from government, civil society, and the multilateral development community provide to the governments of the Andes-Amazon region to combat illegal mining and other transnational criminal activity? Our department understands that organized crime must be investigated and prosecuted together with their related illicit financial offenses. In line with all our shared efforts, this approach aims not only to deprive criminals of their profits and emphasize that crime does not pay, but also to avoid new criminal activities and provide reparation to victims and survivors. Gaston, is there something that we did not cover? Is there anything else that you would like to highlight or add? Thanks, Ryan, again. I would just take this opportunity to highlight that our department is committed to supporting OAS member states' efforts 
to the fight against organized crime across the Americas and stands ready to work with them and with donors. In this regard, I really appreciate the interest and leadership of CSIS promoting discussion and building awareness on all the issues related. Gaston Schulmeister, Director of the Department Against Transnational Organized Crime at the Organization of American States. Thanks for joining us on 35 West. We appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. For you, thank you again for joining. Stay tuned for the next episode of 35 West. <laughs>